1: January seventeenth edition of PFTPM. We do it on most Wednesdays during football season, after football season ends. I'll figure out how often to do it moving forward. Good news for those of you who were complaining about the audio quality. I've gotten my special microphone fixed. Now you can go back to complaining about the blinking green light, which was absent when the audio was simply from the computer. So you can't have everything. You can have a free podcast, though, here, and I'm going to go over some subjects and then answer some questions, as I typically do on Wednesdays. I'm going to try to keep this one to a half hour today, just because I got other things to do. But I wanted to make sure I checked the box on doing, as promised, the Wednesday edition of the PFTPM podcast. I want to start with a look ahead to the division round. From one perspective with two of the teams, you've got both the Packers and the Texans. Going on the road Saturday and Sunday to face off against the number one seed in each conference 49ers in the NFC, Ravens in the AFC. Over the years, that one seed that is at home for the wild card weekend is potentially vulnerable against a team that wins in the wild card weekend and that had to win. In the final week of the regular season, when that one seed was quite possibly taking its foot off the gas, as both the 49ers and the Ravens did. Let's start with the Packers. The Packers go to Dallas after beating the Bears week 18 to punch their ticket to the postseason. Remember, a year earlier with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, they failed to beat the Lions, didn't make it to the playoffs. This year, they get in as the last seed in the NFC. They become the first seven seed to win a super wild card round game and they gain a ton of confidence it kind of reminded me of when the packers beat the falcons in the division around 2010 48 20 i think was the final score destroyed the falcons who were the one seed that was just another step on the way to the packers making it to and winning the super bowl and that was before anybody regarded aaron Rodgers as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time Now here we are with the Packers having a chance to go in and maybe catch the 49ers flat-footed. It will not be easy. But think about the pressure on the two teams. There's none on the Packers. Nobody expects them to win. It'll be a win if they just cover the spread. 49ers, all the expectations are on them. Now, they may be good enough to overcome it. They may be good enough that it doesn't matter that it will be three weeks between them playing in games that mattered while the Packers keep grinding away and winning and building confidence. But we've seen a couple of postseason games in recent years between the Packers and the 49ers. Baron Rodgers, at quarterback, and they didn't go well at all for the Packers. This is the opportunity for the 49ers and the Packers to give us a game that maybe will be exciting, maybe will be close, and may involve the Packers finding a way – to upset the heavily favored number one seed. And I want to give yet again more praise to one specific individual in the Packers organization and to the Packers organization generally. Let me start there. I made the point over the weekend about how these multi-billion dollar businesses that are NFL teams are run like mom and pop shops because you get the team in the family. Somebody accumulates enough cash that they can afford a team. They buy the team. Then whoever it was in the family that had the money to buy the team dies. Somebody else gets the team. Somebody who may have no qualifications whatsoever to run a team, not even the first idea how to run a team, is sitting in the captain's chair of this entity that's worth $8 billion, $7 billion, $10 billion, who knows? It's crazy when you think about it. As I've said before, there's no test you have to take to become an owner. you got to take two tests to drive a car. Written, and you have to go out and show you can drive the car. You don't have to do anything to become an owner. either have enough money to go buy the team, or you're related by blood or marriage to the person who dies and decides to make you the winner of an NFL franchise. It is nuts! Except in Green Bay. Now, they didn't plan to become a corporation. They needed money back in the early days of the NFL. The NFL hadn't thought to say to the Packers, let's not do this because you're going to create a mess. You're going to make it impossible for anyone to ever buy the team. We can never move the team to a larger market, which works out perfectly for Green Bay. Not so much for the NFL. Although I think it's great for the NFL to have that one city that's got the throwback feel to it because the Packers are never going anywhere. So the corporate structure. I mean, think about this. Mark Murphy, CEO of the team. He earned that role through experience, education, and demonstrated qualities that the board of directors were looking for in a president of the team. This isn't something that just falls to you because you're the family member that the owner who died decided to give the team to. No, you have to go out and earn it. and That's why, even though the idea of corporate control of the NFL is a little scary on the surface, it's got to be better having these teams passed around from family member to family member with no idea that anyone who gets control of the team is going to know what they're doing. And they're going to make bad decisions. They're going to fail to get along with great coaches. They're just going to run the team into the ground. Maybe they're going to be too cheap. Maybe they don't care about winning. They just care about taking their cut of the national TV revenue. So at some level, it would be better to have corporations owning these teams because then there would be a CEO who is qualified at least has some objective qualifications to run a team and experience. And then you would have a board of directors overseeing the whole process. You'd have corporate governance committees. It wouldn't just be the whimsy of one person doing whatever they want. At times it's been a detriment for the Packers because sometimes you need someone to roll out of bed and come to work and say, you're fired. Most of the time though, it's probably better to have someone who truly is qualified to run a team running the team. That's my praise for the Packers generally. Specifically, we need to give more credit to Matt LaFleur. And I'm not supposed to disclose any of my votes for the AP awards, even though apparently the betting locks at the end of the regular season. So it's not like I'm going to move the needle by saying this person or that person is on my ballot. I said this on PFT Live. Matt LaFleur is on my three deep coach of the year ballot. I'm not going to say which spot. Matt LaFleur deserves greater consideration and respect for what he's done with the Green Bay Packers. Think about what he walked into. Oh, 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 what do you mean? He walked into a situation with the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, you could say that, or you could say he walked into a situation with a passive-aggressive, delicate genius who wanted to do things his way, who used the media to set up a situation where Matt LaFleur had to completely abandon the way he wanted to run his offense, to give Aaron Rodgers the power to change the play at the line of scrimmage to whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, even though that's not the way the offense was designed. And Matt LaFleur wisely realized, you know what, if I'm going to get the most out of this guy... I got to figure out how to coexist with him. I have to adapt to him. I can't expect him to adapt to me. Plenty of coaches would have just provoked a fight with Aaron Rodgers and run him out of town before the relationship even got off the ground. And LaFleur benefited from it. They won 13 games three years in a row. Now, think about the dysfunction that comes into the building when Jordan Love is drafted to be around one. And God forbid they didn't call the delicate genius to give him a heads up that they were drafting Jordan Love. I, I, I'm being a little sarcastic there. They, they probably should have, especially because they know who they're dealing with, but maybe they deliberately didn't tell him because of that. They wanted to wake him up a little bit and it worked. MVP 2020, MVP 2021, Matt LaFleur guiding the ship the entire way. He got some great performances out of Aaron Rodgers. Instead of fighting with him, he found a way to work with him, coexist with him as long as he could. And then they flipped to Jordan Love, and it was a little rocky. But look at where they are, and look at what it's done. And look at how many plays against the Cowboys, where you would look at number 10. And boy, you could swear that was number 12. Throwing off the back foot, flick of the wrist. We saw the signs in the preseason that Jordan Love could do it. The biggest sign was he's learned how to not just bring his fastball all the time, like Trey Lance was doing in San Francisco. There are moments where you drop it in. There are moments where you fire it in. You have to know how to regulate the arc and the speed of the throw based upon the circumstance of the intended target. Do I need to cut through the space between me and the receiver? Or do I have to drop it in over the top of maybe the outreached arms of defensive back? Jordan Love was showing us that in the preseason, and we had some fun with our friend Adam Shine when Shine, and I think he was doing it to be entertaining, but you know the idea that Jordan Love can't play and that Jordan Love's going to be a disaster. And Shine has since backtracked wisely, as, as I did after I said something about the Ravens doing something or having something done to them by the 49ers that I was wrong about when you're wrong. You just got to admit it and move on. And shine has admitted. He was wrong about love. And I thought he was wrong. I, I thought love was going to have something And about halfway through the season. It's like, I'm not quite sure what they have. And the Packers weren't all that bashful about saying, Hey, the rest of this season is pretty important for Jordan love. And look at what he's done. Made it to the final eight has a chance to go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers and vault into the NFC championship, which would either be the Buccaneers hosting the Packers or the Lions hosting the Packers. Either way, it's an old NFC Central rivalry. What if we get the Bay of Pigs as the NFC Championship game like we did a few years ago when it was Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, although this time it'll be Jordan Love and Baker Mayfield? From the AFC's perspective, similar dynamics, even though the Texans weren't the seventh seed, they were the fourth seed that was favored to lose at home to the Browns. They were the none of the above winners of the AFC South. And look at what they did. 45 to 14 destroying the Browns, embarrassing the Browns and propelling themselves into a rematch with the Ravens. It goes back to week one, 25 to nine was the final score of that game. You look at it and you say, okay, you know, the Ravens man handled them right out of the gates. No, you watch that game. It's a close game. It wasn't until later in the game, that the Ravens pulled away. Texans gave them a good fight and the Texans are going to go in and give them a good fight this weekend. I I really feel like one of the number one seeds is going to lose. I'm probably not going to have the guts to pick one or the other, because here's what will happen. If I pick the 49ers to lose, they'll win and the Ravens will lose. If I pick the Ravens to lose, they'll win and the 49ers will lose. So I'm probably going to go chalk with the one seeds. and, And if they lose, well, it'll be fun to watch it. Although, be careful what you wish for when you get these upsets, because if the best teams lose... In the playoffs, it really does potentially undermine the Super Bowl. You you should want the best teams to get to the Super Bowl to get the best possible Super Bowl. I remember in 1985, when plenty of you probably weren't alive. I know Miles Simmons wasn't alive then. But I remember in 85, when I got caught up in the idea of the Patriots knocking off the Dolphins in the AFC Championship game. And they did. And it's like, wow, that was great. Oh, now it's the Patriots and the Bears in the Super Bowl. And what happened? we lost the opportunity for a rematch between the Dolphins and the Bears. That year, the Dolphins were the only team that beat the Bears in the regular season. So be careful what you wish for with upsets. But I like a little chaos. And my point is, there could be some chaos between Saturday, Packers 49ers, and Sunday, Texans at Ravens. And one other thing about the Texans, and I love watching C.J. Stroud, because it's one thing to have the Texans on – with all the other games being played, watching six, seven, eight, nine, 10 games at once. It's another thing to be able to just watch the Texans. I like watching C.J. Stroud. One thing I like about his game, and one thing I respect, pay attention to this on Sunday. He does a lot of short pockets where he'll get the shotgun snap and not drop back any farther. Sometimes he'll just kind of step up and hang around as all this stuff's happening around him. He's not trying to back away from it. He stays in the middle of all of it, and finds lanes, even though he's not, you know, six five, where he could see over everyone. He finds ways to get rid of the football while he's in the middle of that storm. It's almost like he thrives in that chaos that comes from the blender that you find yourself in the middle of if you don't take a deep drop. So pay attention to that watch. He probably won't do it at all on Sunday against the Ravens. But I noticed it several times against the Browns, and it's just fun. It's, it's risky, but it's admirable to see him in control of his faculties, processing information so much for that S2 test and delivering the ball to open receivers when he is closer to the fray to that cluster of bodies than a lot of times when you see a quarterback deeper yes a traditional pocket emerges around him but this is CJ Stroud more like in the eye of the storm and it's just fun to watch when it happens so both of those games with the one seed yeah watch there'll be blowouts the one seed to win easily But, but history tells us all it takes is something early that knocks that one seed off balance. And all of a sudden, what I think happens psychologically, you start to feel that special season that you compiled one week at a time begin to evaporate. And oh my God, I can't believe in one three hour stretch on a Saturday in January or a Sunday. That's it. It's gone. Just like that. It's gone. And we can't get it back. And it's just not our day. And that's something that has happened to one seeds more often than you realize in the divisional
0: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. My cat Rachel is the silliest cat I know. One time, she played inside a paper bag for three hours. What a mystery. But I'm glad her health isn't. Thanks to the color-changing litter from Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter. This premium color-changing litter has pH-activated crystals that can help me detect potential illness early. That makes it easy for me to stay on top of her health and well-being. I may not understand all of Rachel's silly quirks, but I can keep up with the important things. Find Fresh Step Crystals Health Monitoring Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company.
1: All right, a couple of non-on-the-field issues I want to get to. I haven't written about this yet. It happened last week, January 11, I believe, was the date for the oral argument in the Nevada Supreme Court over the question of whether or not John Gruden's lawsuit against the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell would be forced to arbitration. I saw that it was raised during oral argument that, hey, NFL, isn't it problematic for the commissioner to be the person who is resolving these disputes against the league. And of course it is. It's amazing they've gotten away with it for as long as they have. They rig the system so that whenever there is a claim made against one of the teams or the league itself, the commissioner or someone the commissioner designates resolves it. And even if it's someone the commissioner designates, rarely does that designee do anything other than what the league would want. Because if you start doing that, guess what? You're not going to be designated very often to resolve those issues. So John Gruden, who isn't prevented from his contract from going to court, the NFL's tried to cobble together some argument under the NFL's constitution and bylaws. I think it's weak. My bias is I think the whole thing is a joke. I've called it over and over again a secret rigged kangaroo court. They may not like that at 345 Park Avenue, and I don't care because it is a secret rigged kangaroo court. They do want to keep the media and the fans from seeing what the evidence is. They wanna make sure that the outcome is favorable to them. They don't wanna be held accountable by a judge or a jury. They wanna determine the fate of their own business and they wanna resolve their own disputes because they're gonna win. I mean, just think about it. If you're married, if you had an agreement with your spouse that you have the power to resolve any disputes that may arise that would be a great power that would be great to have i have the exclusive power me or my designee who i will pay to resolve this on my behalf has the power to resolve any and all disputes within the confines of the marriage it's just it's it's not sensible it's not fair and it's amazing to me that more people don't call it out and it's either it's a nuance that people don't understand or You know, people don't want to make Big Shield upset. They're either on the payroll or they want to be on the payroll or they might be on the payroll someday. I might be looking for a job someday and maybe I'll need a job with NFL media. So I better not say anything that they would ever keep a list with my name on it as someone who should never be hired. And I know that sounds weird. But it's real. It's real. You have a lot of punches pulled by a lot of reporters who are holding out hope or at least keeping the the potential open for eventually working directly for Big Shield. All right. Similarly, we're 9, 10 days into the coaching carousel. A lot of names have been requested for interviews. A lot of interviews have happened virtually. Brian Flores, the Vikings defensive coordinator and former Dolphins head coach, his name hasn't come up at all. Oh, by the way, he's got a lawsuit against the NFL. Oh, you know what? I forgot to say something. Let me let me rewind on Gruden, and then I'll get to Flores. It was a great setup, too, and I just screwed it up because I'd forgotten to say what I wanted to say about Gruden. The Saints might hire him to be the offensive coordinator. They fired Pete Carmichael. There was a report previously that Gruden could end up joining the offensive staff. Well, the the job that's open is offensive coordinator. He worked directly with quarterback Derek Carr in Las Vegas. And it could be Gruden. That's a gutsy move by the Saints because the NFL isn't going to be happy about it, even though it shouldn't matter. And there's a knee-jerk reaction by a lot of fans when they see that someone who has sued the NFL believes they're being blackballed or not getting a fair chance back in, the attitude is, well, damn straight. Why would they? Why would they give an opportunity to John Bruton? He's suing them. Folks, the law requires the efforts of people to make valid legal claims against their employer to be respected, and it can't be held against them. If it is, that becomes the second lawsuit. And in my own experience, the second lawsuit is a lot easier to prove than the first one because once the jury understands the law prohibits it it's a lot easier for the jury to get their brains around the idea as to why the employer would retaliate against someone who dares to sue because the knee-jerk reaction for most people is i don't want anybody in here who has sued me oh the law requires me to not consider that in making promotion decisions hiring decisions firing decisions any decisions in the workplace well if the law requires me not to do it and I could see why someone would do it, and they're putting on some evidence suggesting that maybe they did it. It's a lot easier to get the average person on a jury to conclude that there was some sort of retaliation. So, so will there be an effort to keep John Gruden out of the Saints? Will the Saints go forward regardless? Giant middle finger to 345 Park Avenue. If it happens. Keep an eye on that. Now, now, back to what I was saying earlier. Brian Flores. His name hasn't come up once in this hiring cycle. Vikings defensive coordinator before that Miami Dolphins head coach. He's got a lawsuit too, along with Steve Wilkes, the 49ers defensive coordinator who has been interviewed or will be interviewed a couple of times. And Ray Horton, who's currently out of football altogether. He most recently was the coach of the USFL's Pittsburgh Maulers. They went away in the merger between the USFL and the XFL. And I don't think Horton's working anywhere right now as to Flores. Is he going to get head coaching opportunities? I'm surprised that the Steelers hired him a couple of years ago, right after the lawsuit was filed. I'm surprised the Vikings made him defensive coordinator. Both teams did something that goes against what you expect the natural inclination to be because there's so many candidates for these jobs. It's easy to say, well, we're looking for this. We're looking for that. You can throw a rock and get somebody who's qualified to come in and run a defense or be a defensive assistant. Vikings did the right thing looking past the lawsuit and hiring Brian Flores to be the coordinator. Will other teams do the right thing and look past the lawsuit and give Brian Flores consideration to be a head coach again? The easy out is to say that the Vikings fizzled down the stretch. They lost four in a row and I believe six of their final seven, just like the Eagles. It's not the kind of thing that propels any member of the staff into serious consideration for jobs in the current cycle. But it's something to keep an eye on. And that case, it just shows you how slowly this moves. The Gruden case was filed November of 2021. And just last week, they had oral arguments before the Nevada Supreme Court on the question of whether the case is going to be forced to arbitration or play out in open court. More than two years later, we still haven't resolved where this case is going to go forward. Same thing with Flores and Wilkes and Horton. case was filed February 1, 2022. Here we are, January 17 of 2024, and we still haven't gotten a final and conclusive ruling from the presiding judge who was asked to reconsider the original decision on which claims get carved out for arbitration, which claims get carved out for litigation in open court. A preliminary decision has been made that sends some to arbitration and allows some to go to court, But there was a request made, at least by the Flores camp, if not by the NFL, to reconsider that ruling. And I haven't seen a resolution of that. Maybe there has been, because I've been so caught up in what's happening in the NFL. But I think I would have seen it by now, because there would have been statements issued by the lawyers. And the lawyers representing Flores typically will send me a statement, if it's good, bad, or otherwise, for their client. And the NFL will send out statements as well, if they get what they consider to be a good outcome in court. So that's that said so I wanted to go a half hour. We've already gone a half hour. All right, let's answer some questions, though. And I have several that I noticed. I usually don't look at these ahead of time. This time I did a little bit, and uh, off we go. PFTP and Posse. where do the Cowboys fans go from here? It's the same thing every year, and it's becoming unenjoyable. Has the star become so big that the pressure from the playoffs is too much since a Cowboys loss is bigger news than most other team wins? That gets back to something that Dak Prescott said during the season. He kind of blamed the media for hyping up the Cowboys when things were going well and setting them up to step into a trap, which is just kind of ludicrous when you think of it. It's our fault. It's the fans' fault for saying Cowboys are great. Cowboys are great. Cowboys are great. It's on you, the team, the players, the coaches, to get – that noise to be ignored and to always be looking for something to have a chip on your shoulder about. Find something negative out there. Some moron who dares to say that the opposing team is going to kick the shit out of you, for example. Find anything you can to try to keep your edge. And they are, and it's not really victimized because it's great for their business. They make a ton more money selling stuff. They have a much greater following. The numbers that they generate Are off the charts. The team is more valuable. I've wondered from time to time whether this whole Jerry Jones, I really want to win a Super Bowl, I'd write a check the size of which you wouldn't be able to imagine if it guaranteed winning a Super Bowl, yada, yada. I think there's a chance he's just being a very good and very aggressive carnival barker because he understands he's got to sell. In order to get the fans fully engaged, he's got to be fully engaged because he's the fan in chief. You need people to. Show up and spend money on tickets that are expensive. You need people to buy a bunch of expensive crap at the game. I still remember 13 years ago, getting a tub of a couple day old popcorn, frankly, at the Super Bowl at Jerry World for 15 bucks. And it was, you know how when popcorn starts to get to that point where it's lost its freshness and it's kind of squeaky, it was 15 bucks. So you need people to go and spend and watch your games on TV and buy jerseys and get excited and be excited and be engaged. I don't know. I, it came up earlier. I was on the score in Chicago. There's a thought that Jerry Jones won't pay the Mike McCarthy buyout, that that's what's going to save him. He'd have to pay Mike McCarthy for one year. Jerry didn't like to do that. Well, I mean, if you truly want to upgrade, who cares? Who cares? That money is nothing. He's got a half-billion-dollar yacht, for crying out loud. Does he really want, as he said it back in 2012, glory hole? Or does he just want more money? And, you know, I I feel bad for him if he truly is tormented by losing every year. He's at the point in his life where he should be able to enjoy himself. He's been successful, wildly successful, successful enough to buy the team. He's been a great representative of the NFL. He's innovated things. The team has grown and grown. He's got so much money. He Anytime you have a half-billion-dollar yacht, you've won the game. At some point, you can, you know, take a victory lap and enjoy yourself. But he creates the impression he's tormented by these losses, as the fans are, and I don't know that it gets any better anytime soon, especially if they stick. All due respect with Mike McCarthy. All right. PFTP and policy, how much money did Dan Quinn potentially cost himself with the performance of the Cowboys defense this past week, considering he's a hot candidate this cycle, particularly for the Seattle job? Miles Simmons and I were talking about this today on PFT Live. How do you sell Dan Quinn to the Seahawks fan base? How do you sell Dan Quinn to the owner of the Seahawks after 48 points were allowed by the Packers? I think that makes it harder for Quinn to get the job in Seattle or to stick around and be the successor to Mike McCarthy. Dr. J144, the Jim Irsay situation seems to be quite sensitive and understandably so. Reminds me of when Tom Brady got divorced and nobody wanted to break it. How do you personally handle reporting versus being respectful in sensitive situations like those? It's case by case. It's guided by our sense of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, what's right, what's wrong. In a situation like this, where you're talking about a serious illness and there's no information being provided by the cults or the family, we just sit back and wait. Now, there are reports out there regarding official documentation created when the 911 call resulted in a finding of Jim Irsay being non-responsive in his bed. His skin was blue. It sounds bad. We're not going to fill in the gaps with speculation. We're not going to fill in the gaps with rumor. We're going to sit back and wait for whatever official information comes out. And, And with a case like Brady, it became fair game because it seemed to be so intertwined with what was going on with the Buccaneers. His wife was a public figure, even more prominent than him. He was talking about it. It just made it feel like fair game. For most players, you don't want to touch it. For most of these things, you just try to be guided by, and I got 12 years of Catholic school. I feel guilty about everything. I worry about everything. You try to be guided by your innate sense of what's right and what's wrong when you're talking about a delicate situation like this, and you do take it case by case, and you hope that you ultimately make the right decision. Manuel Villa, as a loyal watcher and reader of PFT for five years now, I am curious as to which stories over the last 20 years stand out or elevated PFT to what it is today. Well, I was just thinking about sensitive stories. We killed Terry Bradshaw 17 years ago when there was a report from Shreveport that what it was was someone had died in an accident on the Terry Bradshaw Passway. One of the TV stations in Shreveport reported it as Terry Bradshaw had died. There was a report out there that was the anchor for what we posted. But instead of checking with Fox, which I could have done very easily to confirm that Terry Bradshaw was indeed still alive, I posted it. And that's one of the things we've learned. And that's why we're very careful about what reports we use and who we credit and who we don't. And there are certain reporters we shy away from when they have a track record of, frankly, not being right about things. If you're not right about things and we write about it and it ends up coming to fruition, we get blamed as much or more than you do. I can't even remember the name of the station in Shreveport that put out the idea, convoluting someone died on the Terry Bradshaw passway. to Terry Bradshaw passed away. As I don't remember, what. all I know is we did it. All that matters is we did it. Doesn't matter who originally did it. We took it and we ran with it. And that's something that I'll never be able to live down. Um, One of the news stories slash rumors that I think helped make a difference for us was when we reported in early 2005, the Vikings were exploring a trade of Randy Moss and that the prime candidates were the Raiders. We were out in front of that by a week or so. And it was one of those that just sounded shocking when it came out initially, but it came to fruition The Mike Vick saga, and I remember when his cousin was arrested for marijuana possession, they came to the house and they discovered the dogfighting operation at the home in Surrey County, Virginia, that Mike Vick owned. And Vick just denied everything. It was right around the draft. Commissioner asked him about it, lied to his face, don't know anything about it. And I remember thinking, and this was when I was still actively practicing law, so I was in that mindset, I was in that world more, thinking, how hard would it be to prove that He knows damn well what's going on on this property that he owns. How many different gas stations, convenience stores, grocery stores, restaurants did he use a credit card over the years that would be very easy to track down that he was there? Because once you understand the layout of the land, there's no way he could have ever gone there and not known there was a dogfighting operation. So I had a very strong instinct from the get-go that he was involved heavily in the dog fighting and we pushed it and we pushed it and we pushed it. And some think, I don't believe it, but I know some think the feds wouldn't have even gotten involved because the local prosecutors seem to be inclined to just look the other way on it and not prosecute for whatever reason, whatever reason, maybe the prosecutor just didn't want to have to deal with a Mike Vick legal dream team because prosecutors are paid salary. They don't get extra money for taking on a high profile case where you're fending off some of the best lawyers money can buy. Regardless, it felt like the local prosecutor was going to let it go. Gerald Poindexter was his name, I believe. And some think the feds got involved specifically because I kept banging on this and banging on this. But regardless, that was one that gathered a lot of credibility for us because our instincts were right and we pushed it and we pushed it and we pushed it. And then it all popped and it vindicated everything that we had believed based upon the evidence that was coming out. One news cycle at a time as this thing was unfolding pre-Twitter in Surrey County, Virginia. Those are just a couple that come to mind. I'm sure there have been more. It's been 23 years, and I'm starting to forget things.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Making my cat happy is my number one priority, and Fresh Step Out Stretch litter helps me do just that. Meet Mr. Mittens. Mitty, for short. Ah! Mitty is happiest when his litter box is clean and fresh. And Fresh Step Outstretch is amazing at absorbing waste and odor. We sure have found our common ground, haven't we? Happy cat, happy life. Find Fresh Step Outstretch at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...
1: Dr. J144, again, why do people on social media think it's funny when Bills fans throw snowballs at Steeler players or an Eagles fan dumps a tub of popcorn on Nick Sirianni? Is the NFL concerned we will get a Ron Artest situation at some point? There have been incidents that became close. There was a Jaguars player at one point that was trying to get up into the stands. All you can do in a situation like that is take action against the fan that does the thing you shouldn't do, and there's cameras everywhere. Hey, we talked about this not long ago in a different context. A fan at Gillette Stadium who threw a beer on Tyreek Hill, banned for life and prosecuted, or at least charged. A fan in Cleveland who threw a beer on, I believe, Logan Ryan, then with the Titans, banned indefinitely from the stadium there. Oh, and David Tepper throws a drink on a paying customer at the Panthers-Jaguars game and gets a $300,000 fine, which is pocket change for him and no suspension at all. So. I think that the stadium authorities, teams, et cetera, should be vigilant about taking action at anyone who crosses that line. The guy who threw the popcorn, even though it was a bad pass, I mean, you throw up this cloud of popcorn and it lands five feet in front of Nick Sirianni, you got to work on your aim a little bit. Regardless, if you crossed the line, you should be banned. And if it's somebody from Philadelphia, who cares? But what they should do is, someone who does that should be banned from all stadiums, everywhere. It shouldn't just be, the one where it happened you should be permanently banned from ever going to another nfl game you forfeited your privilege of buying a ticket and going to the game because fans think that when they've paid that money it gives them a birthright to act like assholes to yell and scream hateful things to throw things if they and throwing things does cross the line but just some of the the verbal taunts that get directed to players. You feel like you have every right to do it. You feel like you're supporting the team. If you try to knock the other team off of its game, it's just, uh, it's, it's sad. And it happens at least when someone crosses the line and throws something, that's when the NFL should mobilize. And it should be a ban for life from every stadium. If someone does it, and that should apply to owners too. Keith, the Zed, do you think receivers are now like the proverbial canary in a coal mine as they can sense when something is off on an offense before the public does? A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, George Pickens. I don't know that they're the canary in the coal mine. They're They're the symptom of the disease. That's where it becomes most obvious. They're the chest pains of a heart attack because you've got receivers who are upset that they're not getting the ball. And look, you can say they're being selfish. The reality is a great receiver believes that In order to win games, which is what we're trying to do, you need to get me the ball. If you get me the ball more often, we're more likely to win games. So it creates frustration when the great receiver isn't getting the ball, the offense isn't moving, the team isn't successful, losses happen. So I don't call it canary in a coal mine as much as I view it as a symptom of a disease a deeper issue that needs to be resolved. If you have a great receiver and you're not getting the ball to that great receiver, you've got a problem with your offense. Because if nothing else, even if the guy's not getting open down the field because he's being double covered or triple covered everywhere he goes, you can scheme the offensive plays to get the ball in his hands and let him do what he does. Short pass, jet sweep, put him in the backfield, whatever the case may be, you can get that player involved. All right, what else do we have? Kushman Zada, based on the positive organizational culture we're seeing and extremely good personnel offices of both teams, do you think the NFC rivalry of the 2020s is going to be San Francisco and Detroit? I still have concerns about how far Jared Goff can take the Lions. I need to see him make a big throw in a big spot. I need to see him exercise the demons of Super Bowl 53 when he had Brandon Cooks wide open twice on the same play, first half and second half. And surely in the second half, they spent some of the 25 minutes of halftime saying, we're going to use this play again. And this time, Jared, Brandon Cooks will be wide open. You got to get it to him. He saw him too late. He threw it off the mark. Jason McCourty ran over and picked it off. And that was that. He makes that throw to Cooks in that moment. They might have won the Super Bowl. Jared Cooks might still be Jared Cooks. Jared Goff might still be. Jared Cook was the tight end in the NFL for several years. Jared Goff might still be. Brandon, That's why I did it. Brandon Cooks, Jared Goff, Jared Cooks, Jared Cook. Jared Goff might still be the quarterback of the Rams. Kyle Schrader, if it's up to you, who do you hire at offensive coordinator for the Steelers and what do you do at quarterback? I mean, it's not up to me and Steelers fans everywhere should be glad about that. I think I would definitely want to have a coordinator who has a plan for getting the most out of my quarterback, whoever it is. That's where it becomes a little backward, because you're going to have to go out and hire a coordinator without knowing who your quarterback is, unless you're going to commit to one of the guys you currently have. And I wouldn't necessarily commit to one of the guys I currently have. All due respect to Kenny Pickett, there's nothing he does that makes you say, wow, I can't wait for him to do that again. It's very meat and potatoes between the buoys, not spectacular offensive play. Now, do you have a coordinator who has a certain system? And then do you go out into free agency and find someone you know who can run it? That's one way to go. But there's no guarantee you're going to get the guy who can run the system that the coordinator is running. So I would want a coordinator and a quarterback who can work together well. Similar system. Plays designed to get the most out of the quarterback. Plays designed to not put him in a position to do things he can't do well. That's the key to good offensive football, in my opinion. Matt Kavner of the eight teams left, which are in the now or never considering their Super Bowl window. You know, I was thinking about this earlier. This is one of the ones I saw. I wouldn't say any of them are really in a now or never. I don't think any of them are on the brink of dismantling if they don't get it done. Let's run through them real quickly. The Texans, they're on the rise. The Ravens have a great nucleus of talent they're holding together. The Bills and the Chiefs are still firmly in the window because of the quarterbacks they have. It's not now or never for either of those teams as long as they have those two quarterbacks in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. In the NFC, the 49ers, George Kittle said before the season that their window's closing, but I think he's referring to the older players. They're going to load it up with younger players. They've got the formula to find the right players to come in Work with Kyle Shanahan. He puts together great plays on offense. The defense has been great. I don't think their window's closing. The Packers feel like the arrow's pointing up. The Lions feel like the arrow's pointing up. And the Bucs, I guess, but it's still not now or never. I feel like with Baker Mayfield, they could build something where they could be a force in the NFC for years to come. Dr. J144, would you rather have Trevor Lawrence or CJ Stroud for the next 10 years? One was billed as a generational talent, and the other the media seemed to slow to warm up to because people thought Bryce Young was better and they don't like being wrong. I mean, I think it's a no brainer. I want CJ Stroud. All due respect to Trevor Lawrence. CJ Stroud is already one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, it's easy to say that without listing five quarterbacks because when you start listing the best five quarterbacks in the NFL, you end up with 10 of them. But he's one of the top 10, maybe one of the top five. I I would clearly take him right now over Trevor Lawrence. Even though Trevor Lawrence played through a lot of injuries this year and maybe that had something to do with the Jaguars collapsing, I still would want CJ Stroud right now based upon what we've seen so far. All right, I should probably wrap this up soon. NFL leads, thoughts on Jason Light for executive of the year. Baker Mayfield was a bargain. Brady dead cap money. 10 starters from the last two drafts. I, I hadn't really thought about it before and he wasn't, on any of the ballots for our executive of the year. It's weird that the AP slash NFL official awards don't include executive of the year. That was like traditionally a sporting news thing, if sporting news is even still around. So we do it every year. This year, we had Eric DaCosta, in large part for navigating the minefield that was the Lamar Jackson contract and relationship. Get to a point where... You have a contract he's happy with. You haven't undermined the relationship. You put him at risk of someone else swooping in and signing to an offer sheet you couldn't or wouldn't match. Nobody did. It was played perfectly. Everything else around Lamar Jackson, they've got a great team. They're the best team in the NFL right now, as evidenced by what they did to the 49ers on Christmas night. So I like the idea of Jason Light. I just think that, you know, barely making it to the playoffs in the weakest division in football doesn't make you stand out the way it does if you capture the one seed in the AFC like the Ravens did. Silvestro, Jamie, eight, haven't heard much about Mike Vrabel interviewing anywhere. What's going on with that? Also, can the Chargers actually land Jim Harbaugh? There's a lot of smoke there, but it always is something with the Chargers or it's always something the Roseanne Roseanne Dana catchphrase. That's what. That's what uh, the reference is there. Hope they don't mess it up. Okay, let me start with Vrabel. The Raiders possibility is intriguing, although the signs are pointing to Antonio Pierce possibly getting the job, possibly by the time you see this. Vrabel would be great there. Vrabel intriguing in Seattle if they decide they can't go after Dan Quinn because of the 48-point debacle in Dallas on Sunday. If, And, and I'm not saying Andy Reid's going to retire, but if he does... And I think there's reason to believe that the Chiefs at least have it on the radar screen of possible outcomes once this season ends. Mike Vrabel would make sense there, too. He played there for a couple of years. And why wouldn't Vrabel want that job? It's got Patrick Mahomes. You have Patrick Mahomes, you got a chance to compete for Super Bowls each and every year. As to the Chargers and Harbaugh, I I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Look, they got a great quarterback but I still think there's reason to believe there's plenty of dysfunction in the organization. Will it scare Harbaugh away if he has other choices? The Falcons have interviewed him. We'll see who else does. Maybe the Raiders get involved. I thought it was going to come down to Chargers-Raiders. That was the early buzz. Chargers or Raiders, and maybe that's going to be the case, but now you got the Falcons in play. Other teams might get interested. The guy's a proven winner. He turned the 49ers around immediately, just won the national championship. At a time when the culture of college football has changed dramatically with NIL, and as those players come to the NFL, you need somebody who knows how to get guys to set aside their own personal interests and focus on team and put the team above whatever it is they're trying to do. RDW, what would be a drop dead date that if Mike McCarthy is not gone, he's not going to be? I, I really don't know. We've seen late firings in the past. And if the Cowboys have not lined up behind the scenes who they're going to replace him with, you could string it out. Ideally, you'd like to have a coaching staff in place before the Senior Bowl, but a lot of teams don't. You definitely want to have it in place by the scouting combine. So I don't know that there is a drop dead date, but I just think it makes sense unless Jerry Jones likes the fact that his team will be the center of attention while we all sit back and wonder what the Cowboys are going to do. I mean, he can milk this thing for a few weeks before he makes a decision on Mike McCarthy. So we'll see. I don't know that there is one. Brady Romero nine is what the crafts did to hire Gerard Mayo having a succession plan in place, a loophole to the Rooney rule. It just kind of seems like it violates the spirit of the rule and are the crafts a little more involved and hands-on than most realize? Well, they might be more involved moving forward, but it was clear that Bill Belichick was running the show before he was let go and, or they had a mutual parting. The succession plan for Gerard Mayo is legitimate and it does count as an exception to the Rooney rule. It's happened before. Jim Caldwell got the Colts job after Tony Dungy in 2009 with a pre-existing succession plan in place with a contract that was signed, sealed, and delivered to the league office. Jim Mora, the younger, after Mike Holmgren in Seattle, even though he lasted only one year before Pete Carroll got the job. And when Eric DaCosta became the GM of the Ravens, same thing. The Patriots had the deal in place. Pre-written, pre-committed, sent to the league office, to the point where, if they would have opened the job up for a search, they would have had to write Gerard Mayo a very large check. They've made a contractual commitment to him that he was going to be the next coach. If they had decided not to, whatever's in the contract would have determined what his buyout would have been. It's legitimate, whether you like it or not. It doesn't violate the spirit of the rule or the letter of the rule because it specifically is allowed by the rule. All right. Ryan Nizette, will Joe Flacco or Damar Hamlin be the comeback player of the year? Yeah, We're not supposed to talk about our ballots or who we voted for or whether there's someone else that was our first choice. The comeback player of the year is very vaguely defined. It can be whatever you want it to be. There's a chance by next year, there's a chance there will either be greater guidance or maybe another category, something like most improved player and comeback player of the year. But but still, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder as to what comeback means. Initially, it looked like this was DeMar Hamlin's, guaranteed. All you got to do is make the team and play in a game and you're a comeback player of the year. Well, when you're playing 17 snaps on defense for the full season, it's a little harder to make the argument. And guys like Joe Flacco or Baker Mayfield become the candidates for comeback player of the year. Matthew Stafford potential comeback player of the year we'll find out on february 8th all right i should probably here's one david mitchell assuming the new washington head coach does not retain eric b offensive coordinator have you heard anything on where he might land he might quietly be in the mix for the washington job or the atlanta job but it's just it's never happened for him it's so weird and here's what'll be very interesting if Andy Reid should happen to retire, do they bring Eric Bieniemy back to be the head coach? And if Reid stays, would they bring him back to be the offensive coordinator? If there is no head coaching opportunity for Eric Bieniemy, something to keep an eye on. All right, I'm just scrolling here to see if there's one last question to answer. How about this, Justin Pursuti? Would the NFL ever consider hosting the Super Bowl in a cold weather city again, like they did Super Bowl 48 at MetLife Stadium? And we you know. That year, they dodged a bullet by just like a day or two. I remember being up there for Super Bowl week. And then a few days after the Super Bowl, I guest hosted for Dan Patrick, whose studio is in Milford, Connecticut. And I remember being in the car back and forth hotel up there. And there was one day where it was just snow and slush and crap the whole way. So it could have been very bad. They wanted to do it one time as an experiment. I remember the league telling me when I raised concerns about the potential weather consequences. And this was when, remember in December of 2010, right around Christmas time, a blizzard hit Philadelphia, New York. and It was like 25 inches. We had Vikings and Eagles on Sunday night. They moved that game to Tuesday. We actually took the train down, did the pregame and postgame from Lincoln Financial Field, I asked the league whether or not they had any second thoughts about Super Bowl 48 being in MetLife Stadium, and the quote that I got on the record from the league was, we are the ultimate reality show. So they kind of like that, but not enough to even breathe a word at the possibility of the game being played open air in a northern city. Now, northern cities get the game as the quid pro quo for a new Domed stadium like Minnesota did, like Ford Field did, like the Silver Dome before that, like the Metro Dome before that, they get one, the Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Even though that was a great experience, it was really cold, didn't snow. And in the aftermath of that game from 12 years ago, the vibe was, oh, they'll definitely get another one. Nope, hasn't happened. So it's tough for a cold weather city to get, even with a dome, more than the one that's kind of loosely promised when the local taxpayers open up the checkbook to help pay for the stadium. All right, let's call it there. If I didn't get to your question and it's still relevant next week, ask it then. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. On Thursday, quick preview, PFT Live with Chris Sims, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern. And then later in the day, the Joint Megapix podcast, looking at the divisional round games with plenty of time to talk about each one. Only four games this weekend. We'll have some fun doing that. We appreciate some of your time. We'll be open all the time at profootballtalk.com with all the latest news, information, analysis with everything happening in the NFL. We try to spot it quickly and get it posted so you can read it right away. We appreciate you for doing it. We'll see you next time. I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter? He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. <laughs> right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch cat litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company, certain trademarks used under license from the Procter Gamble Company or its affiliate.